Hello, and welcome to Weekend Watchlist, a look at what's screening and streaming brought to you by The Letterbox Show. I'm Mitchell, they're Slim. Hello. And together we'll dig through what's dropping this weekend, last weekend, recent trends on Letterbox, and we'll also take a peek at our own watchlist all under 30 minutes, or we will spend the entire episode spoiling Nope. <laughs> Mitchell, this could be the biggest episode we've ever done in show history. It could be. Nope is out this weekend. I'm trying to have a date night with my wife to see it. Probably won't happen. But before we get to Nope, this episode is sponsored by our friends at Mubi, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. And every day, Mubi premieres a new film from iconic directors to emerging auteurs. You know there's always something new to discover on there. And... You can try Mubi free for 90 days at Mubi.com slash Letterboxd. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Letterboxd for three months of great cinema for free. Slim, you know I love Mubi, but did you know that Mubi also has a podcast? I'm a subscriber. There you go. Their acclaimed audio documentary series Mubi podcast returned this summer for its second season. This time, the focus is on movie theaters, because in a time when too many cinemas are shutting down, we think it's time to lift them up. This season is called Only in Theaters, and it tells surprising stories of individual movie theaters that had a huge impact on film history, and in some cases, history in general. Listen to the latest season of the movie podcast in whatever app you're using right now. I watched Harold and Maude for the first time for the Letterboxd show proper. I had a religious experience watching that. And one of the most recent episodes of Movie Podcast focuses on that movie's history. So if you're like me, late to the game, want to get some backstory, check that episode out. Check it out right on the podcast. After you listen to this, listen to this 30 minutes or less. We guaranteed it just a minute ago and then slide into the Movie Podcast <laughs> and you can listen to that. Not right now. Just give it like 30 minutes and then <laughs> just right over there. It's so easy. It's so easy. It's too easy. It's, it really is. Well, it's also very easy for us to talk about our excitement for the latest film from Jordan Peele. Our first mm. film today is Nope, written and directed by the man himself in theaters. It is on 100,000 Letterboxd wow. watch lists. The synopsis for Nope. Residents in a lonely gulch of inland California bear witness to an uncanny, chilling discovery. That's it. That's all you get. You don't need to know any more than that. Slim, nope. Do you need more than that? Are you ready? You're ready to go. You're ready to go this weekend. Get your wife. I'm trying so hard to go with my wife to see this movie. I already just got a calendar invite that she's going on her own Friday night. So I might, it's, it might already be out of the car. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting twist. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're not going to get into spoilers. Everyone calm down. So I have been ignoring everything about this movie. I've seen the poster. I've seen Jordan Peele's doing a new horror-ish movie. And that's all I need, baby. You know, I loved Get Out. Uh, I dug the Twilight Zone stuff. And I love just the whispers that I'm hearing about this movie. What about you? Are you also holding back? Yeah, I. so I mean, I, as you know, in general, I don't watch trailers, period. I like to go into most things knowing as little as possible. Nope is like the like apex of that. I Even if I watched every trailer under the sun every day, even if I spent my whole work day just watching trailers, I would avoid the one for Nope. I want to know as little as humanly possible. I, you've got Jordan Peele there and I'm in. That's all I need. Mm -hmm. I saw that cast. 
Daniel Kaluuya back with him, Kiki Palmer, Stephen Yun, my guy. Yeah. I, you know, it's 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 lining up for me. Like you, you can look at my letterbox stats. We went over them a little bit on the letterbox show. You can look at my stats. Get out one of my most watched movies ever. I could watch that movie like any day of the week. Us, also a movie that I have seen several times. When it came out in theaters, Sam, my partner, and I went opening day. We went opening day, the first mm. showing of Us. Then we went into the lobby after it was over. We talked about it for like 20 minutes, went right back into the second showing. Back oh to back. Oh my gosh. What? <laughs> the, the vibes I'm getting, me thinking about like a new Jordan Peele movie and going in blind, it reminds me about how M. Night, remember like the first right. handful of M. Night movies, you kind of like knew the plot, but then you're like, okay, I want to see what the twist was, you know, yeah. when I get there. So it kind of reminds me of those those memories. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like the same for me. Like he you, the, he gets those comparisons to Knight and to Steven Spielberg, and like they're easy comparisons, but they're also easy comparisons because they make sense. Like there is just this this like this hype that builds around those kind of movies where you're watching them and they feel like a discovery as you're experiencing them. And you want that to be as fresh as possible. Yeah, yeah. So some reviews are trickling in. And again, we're going to keep it clean. We got to keep it clean or your <laughs> money back. Also, that's another guarantee. Uh, Fraser Tharp left a review on Letterboxd. Probably the best group of characters Peel has created to date. That's Strong words. Pretty, pretty big talk. We've also got a review from Chris who says, top-notch thrilling stuff. Gets a bit murky with the humor and the characterization of an individual that starts to resemble something you read on Creepypasta, but it more than leaves a mark with gorgeous landscapes during dusty days and bluest nights. Kaluuya gives his best modern cowboy, quiet and subdued but stoic and driven, and Palmer alongside Young bring enough depth of their own. Peel manages to nail a third act that's satisfying thematically, and as a summer blockbuster, it's a little bit Jaws, Tremors, and Twister blended together. My what do you God. need? What more do you need than that? Blend me, Jordan, please. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the big Netflix release this weekend. It's from the Russo Bros. It's on just about 30,000 watch list, The Gray Man, when the CIA's most skilled mercenary known as Court Gentry a.k.a. Sierra 6, accidentally uncovers dark agency secrets. He becomes a primary target and is hunted around the world by a psychopathic former colleague, Lloyd Hansen, and international assassins. I, you know, I, I'm a little trepidatious going into Netflix blockbusters. I've been burned in the past by a certain pro wrestler. I'm not going to name names. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that on this show. So I went in... <laughs> God, can you imagine? Oh my lord. <laughs> so I like this. I've seen The Gray Man. It's big budget action, big set pieces. And ad admittedly, I don't love Ryan Gosling's goatee. I think it's an abomination. <laughs> but I liked the repartee between some of the characters. I had fun with this. So kind of like a, a return to form for like the 90s action that I love a little bit and also the most expensive Netflix movie ever made. Yeah, pretty pretty big. They're put they're putting the money into it and you know with that money you get a you get a fantastic cast. You got Gosling going against Evans as like the two leads, but then like everybody down the line, Anna De Armas is in this, Jessica Henwick, who I love from The Matrix Resurrections wonderful mm. in that she is she's playing a big role here but then like even the smaller parts billy bob thornton shows up for like a little bit chewing some scenery doing his work <laughs> alfred woodard shows up and just dominates like she's in it for like two scenes kills it 
And then it's like, all right, I did it. I did what I need to do. Like you're getting what you need <laughs> out of these people. Yeah, it's it really is a movie that's like wall to wall, nonstop action. So if that's if that's your thing, like it is definitely, I think, gonna deliver. That even the opening, like one of my favorite action sequences in the movie is probably the first one. They're using these like super cool, like neon, like nighttime fight scene between Gosling and another guy. It mm-hmm. just like opens up really rad. What'd you think of Chris Evans' attire in the movie? Very tight pants. My guy wearing very, very tight pants. You you mentioned you mentioned the goat the Gosling goatee too. He Gosling his character makes fun of Chris Evans' mustache in it. He calls it a trash stash. I I think he pulls the mustache off well. I think it I looked great. I, yeah, I prefer the mustache to the goatee. I gotta be honest. Yeah, very. It was almost a very nineties. I mean, when were goatees like that in fashion? Have they yeah, ever been? Right. I don't know. I, Look like D'Artagnan from the Three Musketeers. <laughs> So so we put the call out to the Russos uh, earlier this week. You know, there was some capital D discourse this past week with the Russos and movie theaters. So we asked them, you know, like, let's let's have our letterbox audience hear a little bit about movies that inspired the film. What do you rewatch? What were you thinking about um, when they made the film? So let's let's hear what they had to say. Well, the French Connection was a really important film for us. I mean, I think that, um, you know, it was a edge of your seat one of one of the first edge of your seat movies that i think i can remember watching that's for sure then that was our initial sort of response to the movie but it was also ended up becoming one of those movies that we watched over and over and over and over again studying every frame of that film the sound the sound design the editing style you know read about how it was executed um you know, there's also some '80s films I think that were important too, uh, including the you know McTiernan's films. Uh, another movie that we really love is Frankenheimer's Ronin, mm-hmm. which is an un- underappreciated um, action film. Uh, that uh, you know it was I think him coming back at 80 years old and just schooling everyone on how to how to direct action. Yeah. Was, uh, live and die in L.A. Yeah. You could probably throw some John Woo in there. Absolutely. Uh, is that, is that, sort of the, that, that sort of range of movies that sort of takes the lead character and kind of runs them through a gauntlet, you know, uh, sort of, uh, of overwhelming odds. Bullet is another one. Yeah. Mm. What do you think about that list, Mitchell? Yeah, I mean that's that's a pretty that's a pretty rad list. I think those are all movies that I'm very into. To Live and Die in L.A. I watched for the first time earlier this year, and it like totally lived up to the hype of that movie. Yeah. Like completely knocked my socks off. How about you? What out of those films? What are you? If you can only put on one, which one are you putting God. on? Those are great movies. I mean, I will also say that I watched To Live and Die in L- To Live and Die in L.A. for the first time last year. Mm-hmm. And that knocked my socks off. That like that needs to get on like a streaming service and have people experience that like in a mainstream way. I feel like yeah, it's like weirdly tough to find that yeah. that movie and and that kind of quality release. I know they talked about getting like a 4K of it going up like a oh. little while ago, but then it like kind of just I don't know if that's still happening. It like disappeared. The the talk William Peterson's it, so. stuff in 4K <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> so that that was a trick. They actually didn't leave us a voicemail. Mitchell, you had talked to the Russos uh, overall, so that, that might appear maybe as of release on Journal. If so, we'll have a link in the episode notes for that conversation. I thought it went great. Absolutely. A very, a very nice conversation. Very cool guys. They were very excited to, 
I'm sure spending all day here hearing about the discourse about the the gray band. They were excited to chat about the movies that they love. So yeah, got a lot of a lot of very cool talk in there. Yeah. And now let's move into a two-hander of a very different variety. Let's talk about Anything's Possible, the new film directed by Billy Porter coming onto Amazon Prime this weekend. It's on 1,000 watch list right now. The synopsis, Anything's Possible is a delightfully modern Gen Z coming-of-age story that follows Kelsa, a confident high school girl who is trans as she navigates through senior year. When her classmate Kyle gets a crush on her, he musters up the courage to ask her out despite the drama he knows it could cause. What transpires is a romance that showcases the joy, tenderness, and pain of young love. Slim, I believe you watched Anything's Possible this morning, right before this we recorded. What were your vibes? I made myself a little mocha iced coffee, sat down on the couch, watched anything po- Anything's Possible. I liked it. I thought this the whole thing was super adorable. My wife walked in towards the end and she said that it looked like I was watching like a Disney family channel movie, which mm-hmm. I, I have seen comments in reviews, but I, I kind of viewed that as like a positive because like, can you imagine Disney making an all age family movie with these characters and this kind of topic? Like, oh my, like maybe we'll get there one day, but that would be awesome. Uh, so many cute moments of how Gen, like Gen Z using Reddit. So like the one, the, the main protagonist, the boy in high school is like on Reddit, kind of like asking questions for help in these scenarios. So I thought it was pretty true to life about how like young people would kind of seek out, you know, um, answers or help in like certain high school situations. So I dug it. Yeah, I think I think that that's really cool. I've been seeing, you know, those comments as well in the reviews. And I think that it's it's interesting because as as like a non-binary person myself, like the idea of like being that age and seeing a movie that could feel like it, you know, like I, I didn't grow up seeing movies that I felt like represented me like at that time. And mm-hmm. so the idea of people who can relate to the cultural identities of these characters being able to see a movie like this and see themselves on screen and like just feel seen by that is really exciting and definitely something that I'm excited for people to be able to catch when it comes out this weekend. Yeah, huge representation matters movie in my opinion. So Matt Negley saw it, left to review a sweet, well-intentioned film anchored by two strong performances. Uh, Billy Porter's handling of the romance is sensitively well-executed and he perfectly understands the boundaries of the rom-com, but his aesthetics could use some polishing with future directorial efforts. We got a review from Emma saying, very cute and sweet, but ultimately I wanted a little more from this since it seemed a bit restrained, but I'm excited for more Billy Porter projects and I'm so happy that young people have these stories on the big screen. Mm, our own Jack, Jack's facts, back in Jack's the game. Facts. Jack is back, uh, points out that the representation is well handled and fresh and it manages to capture that butterflies in stomach feeling of high school crushes very well. The charm of the cast elevates it. We know that feeling well. Ugh, I get it every week talking to you on this podcast. <laughs> the rumors are true. <laughs> the rumors are real. Let's go back to last week. We like to spotlight how the movies are doing on Letterboxd, what the community is saying. Uh, so the reviews are coming in hot and heavy for where the crawdads sing Olivia Newman's movie. It's sitting at a 3.2 average right now. Ben uh, on Letterboxd left review. This is some serious Hallmark Lifetime movie stuff. Daisy. Please. So mixed reviews for where the crawdads sing, uh, but it's it's always fun to look back to see how things are going for these movies. Yeah, getting I you know listen to the episode last week. Big talk on Mrs. Harris goes to Paris from you and Mia. <laughs> 
we Mia's not here, but we we still feel her spirit giving giving the Mrs. Harris, you know, buzz still going. 3.6 average on Letterboxd. So it's doing well. 3.2 thousand watch list. People want to see it. Got a review from Joe Reed for Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Joe kept it simple. All he said, she sure does. It's <laughs> You're getting you're getting what's on the tin when Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. She's going there. The Mrs. Harris discourse kept up all week. It was in <laughs> it was in our Slack. It was in our meetings. It, it was never ending. So the the buzz is still very strong. Don't make me go. We talked about it last week. That's on Amazon. Uh, Three point two average. So John Cho, you sweet gentle little bean. Uh, left that review a neon ghost wolf's review really cute road trip movie with lovely leads the ending got me so still still some pretty strong buzz for those movies from last week john Cho, hot dad of the summer <laughs> hot dad summer hashtag <laughs> what about you what do you look back on last week want to want to spotlight yeah, so I, I wanted to shout out Criterion put out their new 4K Blu-ray of Devil in a Blue Dress, Carl Franklin's mm. 1995 noir film starring Denzel Washington. I got a copy of it a few weeks back, and the 4K restoration on it is absolutely gorgeous. Somehow oh. making like this is this film's been one of my favorites for you know like 15 years. I think the first time I saw it, and it just with that new 4K, it pops in a way that it never has before. It's such like a great noir that takes this interesting route of approaching the genre through like a social realist context with the character who's basically like a detective by circumstance because he lost his job and is like behind on his mortgage and just needs mm. to like make money um and it's it's just like a really interesting it's really interesting to see the ways that it takes the conventions of noir and like subverts them in these like subtle ways and honestly no one has ever looked hotter on screen than Denzel Washington in this movie. You got to see that in 4K. You got to see Denzel in 4K in Devil in a Blue Dress. This is streaming, uh, for those that haven't grabbed the 4K, it's streaming on HBO Max and the Roku channel right now. So get on it. There you go. How about you? Anything that you wanted to shout out from the last Yeah, week? I do want to continue the Marcel love. Love Marcel. Marcel. <laughs> the hashtag is off the charts right now. We see it trending. <laughs> we thank you everyone for your support. And also we appreciate everyone tagging the reviews weekend watch list that uh, helps, you know, I, I check that every week. We both do to see what people are reviewing and we try to weasel in some reviews from our community. So Emma uh, wrote a review for Marcel. Just the most wholesome itty bitty guy living in a big world and trying to navigate the complexities of joy, loss, pain, and beauty just like the rest of us. Wonderfully funny and remarkably moving, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On is a warm blanket to soothe the aches of reality. It simultaneously affirms loneliness and celebrates community. And those things are not mutually exclusive. So great little check-in on Marcel. Yeah. Itty bitty guy living in a big world. I can relate to that 100%. I'm a small person. <laughs> I I feel it. Marcel and I, I think, are, are very compatico. Simpatico. Compatico, uh -huh. simpatico, <laughs> both simultaneously. <laughs> Let's move into the final section of the show. We'll shuffle our own watch list. We take a peek at our watch list. We see what our community is shuffling on the weekend to watch from their own watch list. When you shuffled and got West Side Story, I heard an audible gasp <laughs> from you in that episode as I was editing it. So how did it go? You watched Spielberg's West Side Story. The gasp was unintentional. I, I was... <laughs> I was excited to see West Side Story. It, it was one of those ones that like it just came out in the the midst of like the mad like awards like end of year rush where you're trying to cram in like they mm -hmm. they save you know so many great movies and release like fifty of them a week for the last couple months right. and I didn't have to watch that for like anything I was doing for work so I ended up 
just not not seeing it and it kind of like fell through the cracks for me. So I was excited to finally catch up with it. Uh, I I wasn't I wasn't too big on it. I got I have to admit I it fell it fell a little flat for me. I kept waiting for it to to pick up steam. I don't know if it's the the Ansel Elgort of it all mm-hmm. or just seeing like a story that I've seen and read uh, like a thousand times. Like it just for whatever reason it wasn't really popping for me. But I will say that the if there's one thing that was popping, Ariana Debose. Oh, phenomenal yeah. in it. She yeah. anytime she comes into the the screen, she is like an absolute ray of light. She just dominates that thing. So I'm very happy to have finally seen her Oscar winning performance, which mm. I would say deservedly. So I know you. I I checked out your review of it, which immediately right off the jump, Ariana Debose in big bold <laughs> yes. flashing lights. You wanted to shine shine a light on her for it. I wrote Ariana eyes 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 emoji in my <laughs> review, so I gave it four stars. I, I I'm still like kind of dumbfounded that this movie exists. Like yeah. I, I compared it to Blade Runner 2049, like. I'm assuming they did some market research to see like, will this movie make money for us? And the answer really was almost immediately no. Yeah. But I would have loved a brighter color palette in the movie. I felt it was a little bit too drab. I mean, especially when you compare the original. I yeah. mean, the the dance scene in 4K, are you kidding me? In that red room? Yeah. Mamma mia. I would have loved a little more popping visually uh, with the yeah. color palette in the movie. Come on, Yanush. What's up? What's up, Yanush Kaminsky? Wait, you just gotta, it's got to be gray. You got to get all those wet streets for the entire movie. <laughs> all right. So when I was on the show last, I shuffled and got Alligator. That was my movie. 1980. This is streaming on Shudder. It's also on Shout Factory for folks that subscribe. Not bad. Not bad. 1980. Robert Forster is the lead. He plays a cop who's really tasked with finding this killer mutated alligator that is murdering people in the t- in the sm- in the town, in the city. I hate when that happens. You hate it. <laughs> it you happens, hate to see it. It happens way it's too often. It's happening right now. Society. Right now outside my house, there's an alligator <laughs> roaming around. I got to stay inside. <laughs> so I don't know. It's streaming on Shout Factory. So, and maybe, you know, maybe there was a recent Blu-ray release of this, but the version on Shudder looked tremendous. I thought it looked great. You, you watch this as well, right? Yes, so there was a recent uh, 4K restoration on it. Shout Factory put out a 4K Blu-ray disc, which I, of course, own <laughs> and had been sitting on for a few months, had been waiting to watch it. So when I saw that you got it um, for your watch list, I was like, yeah, let me check out Alligator. I woke up at 8 o'clock this morning, uh, popped, it, popped it in the 4K player, started my morning off with Alligator. I, I'm totally with you. It's like it basically cribs the like exact premise and arc of jaws um mm-hmm. but i think makes it really fun um john sales wrote the the screenplay for it john sales the like iconic american independent director mm-hmm. and i think that it's it's like a lot of fun it does like a really great job of working in that kind of critique of bureaucracy and like these like capitalists trying to keep you know the bottom line intact yeah. by ignoring what the problem is and yeah robert forster is so good. You noted in your in your review that um, he really leans into his thinning hair in yes. the film, and like there's especially in the first like act, supporting characters are like constantly like ribbing him about <laughs> his thinning hair. And I was reading up about the movie a bit after watching it this morning, and I read that that was actually his idea was mm-hmm. like for to have the supporting characters like making fun of his thinning hair. So you gotta love a guy who can just lean into it, although. 
you know, for everybody who's seen Jackie Brown, he has a fuller head of hair in Jackie Brown. So something happened. <laughs> maybe, something happened since maybe he wasn't leading He changed his mind. Yeah, in my review, I notated how odd it was that like a leading man would have thinning hair, but then it would become part of the story. Which I yeah. appreciate. Like, would yeah. that even happen today? Or they yeah. cast any man that had thinning hair in twenty twenty two? Probably not. Probably I not. Cool. I watched. Uh, I watched Vigilante a few like a month ago for for We Can Watch This, which he's also the lead in. And I watching it because I mostly know him from his older stuff. Like I've seen Medium Cool from the sixties with him, um, but I mostly know him from like Jackie Brown, and mm-hmm. you know he was on Breaking Bad and Twin Peaks and all that kind of stuff, and. So I'm used to him having a full head of hair and I saw Vigilante and he has very thin, thinning hair in Vigilante. And I was like, oh, Robert Forster kind of, you know, interesting hair going on here. But no, no comments on it, I don't think, from what I remember in that film. So this one, Alligator, he was like, you know what? We got to talk about it. Everybody's talking about it. Let's just let's figure it out. I feel like I could be a leading man in 1980. If Forster can do it with, with thinning hair. Yeah. By God, I could be hunting gators in the city streets. Myself. Yeah, you got it. I think I for me, I probably would be more of like a 30s, 40s, like a James Cagney kind of vibe. I'm a, I'm a small person. I'm a little, you know, I look a little dangerous, <laughs> but also charming, charming in a way. <laughs> charming and dangerous. <laughs> Members of our community were watching movies this week also and tagged their reviews. Ellie watched Defending Your Life. Got the idea to watch this wonderful movie from an episode of Weekend Watch List. This is The Good Place before there was The Good Place. The movie was so simply good. I was cackling during the introduction to Judgment Day, Meryl Streep, so young. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Ellie. Yeah, Meryl Streep is luminous in that mm-hmm. film. I want to shout out Mrs. Darcy's review of Step Up to the Streets. It is my lot in life that I will never be as sexy as that final dance sequence. Don't sell yourself short, Mrs. Darcy. You can do it. (laughs) (laughs) You just have to believe. Last review of Spotlight Trip, Burton's Paris is Burning review. A religious community might want to pray together a lot, right? Well, this gay community, they like want to be together. I can't imagine seeing this in 1990 because in 2022, when this community is much more visible to the average American, it still feels fresh and revolutionary. And I imagine hearing a young 15-year-old say the above word would create an uproar among those who don't understand the love and compassion that flows through this film. So, very nice review. There you go. It's time for us to shuffle again, Mitchell. Head to the watch list, filter by streaming service, you know, make it easy for us, and then sort by shuffle. What did you get? My film is... 1988, Jonathan Demme directed Married to... The Mob, starring oh Michelle God. Pfeiffer. The tagline, they're her family, dot, 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 whether she likes it or not. <laughs> the synopsis, God. Angela DeMarco is fed up with her gangster husband's line of work and wants no part of the crime world when her husband is killed for having an affair with the mistress of mob boss Tony the Tiger Russo. Angela and her son depart for New York City to make a fresh start. Unfortunately, Tony has set his sights upon Angela and so has an undercover FBI agent looking to use her to bust Tony. A lot going on for Angela in this Holy film. Cow. Uh, but I, this is one that's, uh, you know, I mean, clearly on my watch list. I've been wanting to see it for a long time. Okay. So definitely excited to check it out. I do own it on Blu-ray. Slim, of course. What did, of course. <laughs> what, what did your shuffle give you? Let me hit the old shuffle button here. 
Married with the Mob, by the way, is streaming on Prime and Roku and Tubi. And it's on Tubi. Yeah, yeah, good mention. Oh, they Uh call me Mr. Tibbs. Hello. The sequel. Oh, my goodness gracious. In the heat of the night. This is streaming on Tubi. The last time Virgil Tibbs had a day like this was in the heat of the night. What a tagline. They just mentioned the first movie in the tagline. Uh, Police detectives investigation of a prostitute's murder points to his best friend. Famous in the heat of the night movie. I recently watched that. I think this year for the first time in a long time. So I added, like, I didn't realize that they made two other, I think two other movies after in the heat of the night with the same character he played. Fortunately, the ratings are pretty low in the sequels, but this is what I'm going to be watching next. Another great poster. Yeah. In the heat of the night. Absolutely. rolls. What a great movie. I mean, if anyone wants to join along, just watch In the Heat of the Night instead, probably. Maybe (laughs) skip. Don't bother. Thanks so much for listening to Weekend Watchlist brought to you by The Letterbox Show. You can follow Mitchell, Slim, that's me, and our HQ page on Letterbox using the links in our episode notes. And if you have the time, maybe consider rating the podcast on Spotify. We're leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps spread the word about the show. But more important than all that, thanks to our friends at Pocket Cast for spotlighting Tape Deck in general. Uh, Letterbox is in there. A few other podcasts that I recommend everyone check out in our little mini network. So thank you so much, Pocket Cast. Thank you, Pocket Cast. Thanks to our crew. And thanks to Letterboxd member Trent Walton for the theme music, Eyes On. Thanks to Jack for the facts and Sophie Shin for the episode transcript. And most of all, to you all for listening. Weekend Watchlist is, as Slim mentioned, a Tape Deck production. This, this, this is a Tape Deck podcast. Oh, my God.